0: This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the number one daily fantasy sports app. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumbler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 600, which uh, in case you don't know, that's a lot of episodes to do of one podcast. I cannot believe we reached that milestone. That's crazy. Honestly, the milestone I care about is 1,000. That will be really cool to reach that someday. Be like, 1,000 episodes feels like a really cool number. 600, just like, ah, yeah, it's another number. Keep going. If you, if you do enough, long enough, you'll get to 600. Um, today's going to be a fun show. We're going to do Fun Friday. Going to answer some Patreon questions. Going to preview the weekend. Uh, but before we do anything else, the number one thing we got to talk about today is the game that just happened on Thursday Night Football. And I want to give a friendly reminder If you're going to watch games on Amazon Prime on Thursday nights, here is my recommendation. You have to. You have to do this. I cannot believe there are people still that reach out to me all the time. I can't believe I watched Prime Vision for the first time. I'm just learning of it. There's an alternate viewing option on Amazon Prime when you watch Thursday night football called Prime Vision. It's unbelievable. It's a wider angle of the game, which shows all 22 players on the field at the same time. It allows you to read the defense pre-snap. It's, to me objectively better than watching a traditional television broadcast. You still get the announcers. You still hear Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit in your ear. Um, there's a lot of like advanced analytics stuff I don't care about. There's a nerdy guy named, what is his name? Sam Schwartzstein, I believe. He pops in every once in a while to give me like some nerdy stat I don't care about and don't need. But it's so minor that it doesn't ruin the experience for me to be able to watch the defense pre-snap and see what coverage they're in, who's motioning across, to see everything on every play is unbelievable, and unlike most traditional alternate broadcasts, usually you do an alternate broadcast, you have different broadcasters, but no, you get the actual call with Al and Kirk, and Al Michaels, Kirk Herbst, you get the good broadcasters doing the game as well, so it's 10 out of 10, maybe 9.5 out of 10, because Sam Schwartzstein is like, eh, he could be better, uh, he comes in again, like every, like once a quarter, he'll give you, like, information you don't care about and don't need, but... um, Prime Vision is by far the best way I've ever watched football. And uh, if you haven't watched it yet, next Thursday night, go watch it that way because it really is truly the best way you can possibly watch football. Let's talk about the game, though. On Thursday night football, Kansas City beat Denver 19-8. to And uh, the game, I know that's not a blowout 19-8. to You're not like, wow, I can't believe how badly Kansas City beat Denver. But it was a totally one-sided game. There was no real struggle. There was no real challenge from Denver. Kansas City led thirteen to nothing at halftime. Then sixteen to nothing in the fourth quarter. Finally, Denver scored with six minutes left in the fourth quarter. They made it sixteen to eight. Kansas City got a field goal. They won nineteen to eight. Um, I got a couple things to say. Number one, Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City quarterback, was thirty for forty passing at three hundred five yards one touchdown pass, an interception. Um, The interception for Patrick Mahomes was pretty bad. He had the ball third and eight on the 15-yard line, and uh, he kind of threw the ball up for grabs. It was a weird decision. I'm like, I don't know where you're going there. He got hit as he threw. The ball went up. Um, It's a very simple solution. You take a sack there. Third and eight, 15-yard line. You don't throw the ball into coverage. It's nothing there. Nothing's open. I know it's Patrick Mahomes. He can get away with stuff other quarterbacks simply cannot do, but... That's still a play where you take the sack, you kick the field goal, you live to see another day. Uh, Travis Kelsey, the Kansas City tight end, had nine catches for 124 yards. Taylor Swift was there. We saw her a lot. I thought it was kind of an interesting balance watching the game. She was on screen like four or five times. It was cool, but certainly wasn't the main focus of the game. I thought that was kind of a an interesting way to cover her. They show her face, a couple moments here and there, nothing notable. You kind of move on with your life. Um. One thing Travis Kelsey did in this game, he had a sweet play where he lateraled to other tight end Noah Gray on Kansas City, and it was awesome. Travis Kelsey once said that laterals are the most underused move in football, and I totally agree. And it's... Can you imagine if teams just were lateraling left and right the way Travis Kelsey does once a game, basically? It's so interesting to me and how it's a move that... Like, in rugby, for example, you watch rugby. I don't watch a lot of rugby. I haven't, I've never watched a full game of rugby in my life, but I know... They do that lateral move constantly. And I, I just when I watch Travis Kelsey do that, it makes my brain kind of go to wild places. I'm like, imagine a team that really tried to lateral like a lot and used it as part of their game plan. What could happen? We don't do it because it's risky and you're technically fumbling and putting the ball on the ground, but it is certainly like Travis Kelsey said, it's a part of football that gets monumentally undervalued and underused. And you're like, man, if the right team figured out how to use that in a dangerous way. Uh, everyone's in trouble. Kansas City as a team had 389 yards of total offense. And I thought that, honestly, all things considered, when it's you consider it's Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Denver's defense, who's not been great this year, I thought the Denver Broncos defense did a really good job. They held Kansas City to only one touchdown on the night uh kansas city was in the red zone five total times only one touchdown one for five in the red zone a lot of field goals and i thought that again for a a denver defense that's been really disappointing giving up a lot of points like a historic amount of yards and points this year i thought i don't know if historic but it's definitely the league leading going into this weekend was hey denver's defense has given up the most yards and the most points of any nfl team so far and Given that perspective, I thought Denver's defense did enough to keep them in the game. You hold Kansas City to 19 points, one touchdown. That's a game that theoretically you could win. Now, the disappointing part of this game for Denver was Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson. When they added Russell Wilson, this was the kind of game you thought he was going to be able to win. You thought when you brought in Russell Wilson, he was going to be able to compete with the best teams in the NFL and win a game like Kansas City. That did not happen. Uh, Russ was 13 for 22 passing. He had 95 yards passing on the day. Less than 100 yards passing. One touchdown, two interceptions. I think part of that is that there's an unsung hero in KC. The Chiefs defense is really, really good and doesn't really get the credit they deserve, in my opinion. But on the other hand, Russell Wilson simply wasn't very good. And it's been a long time now. I've been watching a lot of Russell Wilson, man, and you're like, Is it ever going to work? Is he ever going to play well? What's happening in Denver? One of the interceptions, he threw got tipped at the line. It was cover zero. A pass rusher got free, tipped the ball. I I guess that happens, right? The other interception was a terrible decision where there was a linebacker in the throwing lane. I I don't know how you don't see him. He got picked off. I understand when you play quarterback, you're in the pocket. Your linemen are massive. No matter how tall you are as a quarterback, your linemen are bigger than you. And a guy like Russ at that height, it's tough to see. There are times where we saw Jordan Love throw an interception on Monday Night Football where he threw the ball right at linebacker Roberts Blaine. I think part of that was he didn't even see the linebacker because it's messy in front of you. You're trying to look downfield. There's bodies around you. It's messy in the pocket. I understand that. But you simply can't throw an interception like that. And it's discouraging. It's deflating. Things are so, so bad in Denver. Right now, Denver's 1-5. They've lost 16 games in a row to Kansas City, which is unbelievable. And here's a crazy reality. I saw a graphic today. Here's what Denver gave up to bring in Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. On top of the players they gave up in the trade, they gave up three first-round picks, three second-round picks, a fifth-round pick, and they gave Russell Wilson a five-year, $245 million contract and Sean Payton a five-year million contract they're one in five one win five losses one win over Chicago who has been really really bad all year it's not a very impressive win at all by the way the coach last year in Denver Nathaniel Hackett six games into the year was two and four Sean Payton is doing worse than Nathaniel Hackett did last year it's awful And there's one play stuck in my head. There was an early fourth down for Denver. Fourth and three on the 38-yard line. Go back and watch it. Russell Wilson takes a three-step drop. Off to his left. Defense clears out. You got Jerry Judy wide open at the six. Hit it with timing. You throw the ball with anticipation. That's an easy completion. Would have been a first down. I don't know what Russell Wilson's looking at. I don't know why the ball didn't go to Jerry Judy. I don't know if he doesn't understand the play call. I don't know if he... I I don't know. None of it makes sense to me. Watching Russell Wilson is really, really frustrating. And I have more patience for Denver head coach Sean Payton. Sean Payton just got there. It's year one. He's trying to rebuild their organization. But at what point does Denver have to give up on Russell Wilson? At what point do they have to say, this isn't working? Now, they gave him so much money that it basically has to work. And cutting him is going to cost a ton of money, whether you do that before June 1st in 2024, after June 1st. Basically, the best scenario here is that Russell Wilson can find a way this year to turn it around and have a better year, but it's sickening. Again, they can't afford to not have this work with Russell Wilson. It's crazy. It's going to cripple their franchise if they have to cut him. And I just I feel so much disappointment because I remember when Denver traded for Russell Wilson. I was like, "Man, this is a team that's been ready to win for a while. They had a good defense, they had good players." All they needed for years, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, all they needed was a quarterback. Finally, they got Russell Wilson. I'm like, yes, this is the quarterback they need. Last year with Nathaniel Hackett, it did not work. But I was willing to say, you know what? It's Nathaniel Hackett's fault. The coach wasn't good enough. That's the problem. Fine. This year, you brought in Sean Payton, a guy who... Whether it's true or not, we might be learning Sean Payton's not that great of a coach. But the impression was, hey, Sean Payton is the coach that made Drew Brees a Hall of Fame quarterback. I thought it was going to work. I really did. I thought, hey, Sean Payton is going to be the quarterback, the, the coach to turn the quarterback Russell Wilson around. Nope. It's been awful. And I, I can't believe how unsuccessful the Russell Wilson era in Denver has been they have been awful. He's looked bad. He's a better athlete this year than last year. He's running better. Like he's he is like a little bit thinner. He is getting out of the pocket better. Uh he's better on the move, sure, but in totality, Russell Wilson his numbers are fine, I guess. He's got what 12 touchdowns now and four interceptions plus a fumble, so 12 touchdowns, five turnovers on the year. That's fine. But, man, they're not winning, and he's not doing enough. And there are so many plays where you watch Russ, and you're like, that's not good enough, man. That's got to be better. That receiver's open. That throw can't be made. Uh, there was a third and short where they, he took a sack on the, you know, he, he escapes the pocket right on, like, a sprint out. They've got two receivers downfield. It's ugly. It, it's I can't even talk. It's ugly. Like, what are they doing? Why are the two receivers? Why is that the play call? Why don't they trust Russell Wilson? All I have when I watch Denver and Russell Wilson are questions, and it's confusing and baffling. And I just, I want to share that I can't believe how bad it's been. I can't believe how much Russ and Denver have not worked together. It's been a huge disappointment, and I'm surprised by that. I really thought that Sean Payton was a coach to make Russ work and, and thought it would be awesome and man, I just, I have no real thought beyond that. I just, I just can't believe how bad it's been. I really feel bad for Denver Broncos fans and uh, I don't know what they're going to do. I really, I mean, no one's going to want to trade for us. I think you have to tear down the entire team and trade everybody away, quite frankly. Jerry Judy, uh, you know, three catches, 14 yards, got clowned on by Steve Smith before the game. Clowned on is the right word. Steve Smith was honest and tried to approach him. He, uh, for anyone who hasn't looked it up, look up the, the clip of Steve Smith. Uh, broadcasting about Jerry Judy. He said, I called him a jag, just a guy. And uh, Jerry Judy, when you went up to him and tried to, as a man, be like, look, I I know what I said, what I said, but I want you to, I'm rooting for you, no hard feelings, like trying to connect anyway. Jerry Judy's like, I don't mess with you, man, said more colorful words than that. And goes out, Jerry Judy, three catches, 14 yards, does nothing. He looks like a guy who, for a first-round receiver, not delivering at all what they hoped he would. And uh, I think when someone criticizes you and you handle it poorly, it reflects on you, the guy getting criticized. Like, you can't handle any kind of criticism. You can't handle maybe people, and he's an athlete. Like, Jerry Judy's job is not to care what Steve Smith thinks, but if I was an NFL receiver and the legendary Steve Smith was talking to me and trying to give me advice or trying to help me in any way or even interact with me, I'd give him the time of day because I have respect for Steve Smith, the guy who did it at a really high level in the NFL. The fact that Jerry Judy, it's concerning, man. The fact he handled that the way he did. I can't believe how bad things are in Denver. It's all-time horrible. And uh, I just, like I said, I feel bad for Broncos fans. All right, I got to take a short break. I got to pay for food. I got to pay for a place to live. So I'm going to take a break. I will be right back. Prize Picks is the number one daily fantasy sports app. Prize Picks allows you to make an entry based on player projections, and in 60 seconds, you could enter something like Travis Kelsey more than five catches, Tyree Kill more than 100 yards receiving, and Justin Fields less than 200 yards passing. And if your picks are right, you can win money. Making picks makes games more engaging, and you could turn something like five dollars into fifty. Prize Picks offers quick and easy deposits; you can even use Apple Pay. And they have weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. For example, there's a weekly event called Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, PrizePix discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. So put your skills to the test in Daily Fantasy. Go to prizepickscom CLNS and use code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash CLNS, code CLNS, for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePicks, daily fantasy made easy. All right, we are back. Let's dive in. I want to talk about NFL Week 6 coming up this weekend. To me, the number one game this weekend is the 49ers at Cleveland. The 49ers playing the Browns. Cleveland has a lot of talent. And they're one of the rare teams in the NFL this year that I feel like might be able to challenge the 49ers up front. So I have hope. Maybe, maybe the 49ers-Browns game can be good. I have no confidence in that happening because of, you know, the Browns are 2-2. Two two. I thought that the 49ers-Dallas game was going to be really good. It was a blowout 42-10. to 10. So at this point, I don't know what to expect. I feel like no one can compete with or beat the 49ers, but... Um, I, if the Browns win, it would be a really impressive win and a win where you go, okay, you know, the Browns would be 3-2. and They took down the Giants under the 49ers, it would be like, hey, you know what? That's a great win for them. Uh, the 49ers are 5-0. and oh. We have still never, ever seen their quarterback, Brock Purdy, finish a game in the NFL and lose, which is insane. Remember, he got hurt, didn't finish their playoff game against Philadelphia. I will say that... The Browns' defense is a number one ranked defense in the NFL. And I understand they played one fewer game than everybody because they had a bye week this past weekend. But their yards allowed are over 500 yards fewer than the next team after them. So, like, even though they've played one fewer game than on most other NFL teams, they're still like way, way ahead. And I think we're about to see a good matchup between Brock Purdy, who's a great decision maker, really accurate. And a lot of weapons outside with George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, just really good players on offense in San Francisco against what I would think right now is the best defense in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns. I'm excited. I'm interested. Um, What's got to happen here, if Cleveland's going to beat the 49ers, their quarterback, Deshaun Watson, has to play really well. I don't have a lot of confidence in that happening. I hope that'll happen. That'll be interesting. I hope because he's my fantasy football quarterback, but... I, right now, I don't have high confidence this game is going to be close, but I hope it will because I want what's been, the last two weeks in the NFL have been blowouts and a lot of games that have not been close or compelling. I am really hoping this game can deliver and be the close, compelling, physical football game that, frankly, I wanted the 49ers-Dallas game to be last Sunday. There's a game in London. The Ravens play Tennessee. I want to see the Ravens offense bounce back Last week, they dropped three touchdowns. Their quarterback, Lamar Jackson, had two late fourth quarter turnovers. And Tennessee does some quality stuff on defense. So it should be an interesting matchup. Game in London, Ravens, Titans should be interesting. Washington plays at Atlanta. The Washington Commanders are two and three. The Atlanta Falcons are three and two. If Washington wins, they would both be three and three. Last year, there were two quarterbacks drafted later in the draft, Desmond Ritter and Sam Howell. This year, they got elevated to starters in the NFL, and in this game, Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter will be playing against each other. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. I just want to watch this game and then compare the two. Who did better head-to-head? Who looks better? Who's got more progress so far earlier in their career? Right now, I think Sam Howell's the better quarterback, and I think Sam Howell's been good enough that I think he might be the quarterback next year in Washington. I don't feel that way yet about Desmond Ritter. It's still early, and it's going to be really fun to watch this game and compare the two young quarterbacks. Uh, Vikings and Chicago is going to be a good game. I think both teams are 1-4. and Say what you want about Kirk Cousins. He scores a lot of points and always puts up big numbers and is going to make it interesting to some degree, I think. The Bears have been making progress, though. The Bears are 1-4, and I know. Two weeks ago, they lost to Denver. Last week, they won their first game of the year maybe Chicago gets their second win of the year here. All I'm really hoping for in this game more than anything is because I want to see Justin Fields become the franchise quarterback in Chicago. I want to see Justin Fields play well for the third game in a row, have a good game, maybe beat Minnesota, whether he wins or loses. I want to see him play well. If they lose because the defense screws up, that's fine with me. But what I want to see is Justin Fields have a really good game against Minnesota. Seattle and Cincinnati is an interesting matchup. I think there's potential for a good game here. Um, I like Cincinnati to win this football game. Joe Burrow and the Bengals' offense have been getting better, and Joe Burrow has the calf injury, which early on looked like it really affected him. He's kind of heating up as the year is going on. Seattle's got a fun defense, so I think it's going to be an interesting matchup between Joe Burrow and the Seahawks' defense. I thought going into the year that these two teams were built In a similar fashion with, you know, weaker offensive lines, a ton of great receivers, a quarterback who can do some good stuff. But the reality is Seattle's offensive line problems have caused their rookie receiver Jackson Smith at Jigba, their first round pick, to be on the sideline more than often. Because they're doing a lot of two receiver sets, having a tight end stay in on the line of scrimmage to use as a blocker to help their pass blocking. Um, I hope it's a good game. I, I will say I, I worry that Trey Hendrickson, the Bengals defensive lineman, defensive end, is going to have a great game getting after Geno Smith. I worry about the Seattle Seahawks offensive line, but I still see a competitive, fun game here. Zach Taylor coaching against Pete Carroll, a good defense against a good offense. It's a fun matchup, and uh, I'm just hoping, man. I really want to see Seattle at Cincinnati to be close and fun and interesting. It's worth noting. No, noting. It's worth noting. Panthers at Miami feels like a total mismatch. Carolina's 0-5. Miami is a Super Bowl contender, in my opinion. I can't imagine a world where Carolina goes on the road at Miami this weekend and beats Miami, but I guess crazier things have happened in the NFL. Colts and Jaguars is a game that I think could be really, really fun. Uh, both teams are 3-2. and two. It's kind of the early battle for first in the AFC South. And Trevor Lawrence last weekend against Buffalo played... Really, really well. Now, Colts quarterback Anthony Richardson is injured. He's out. He's on the IR. So what's going to happen is Gardner Minshew will be the starting quarterback against his old team, Jacksonville. Remember, who was a quarterback before Trevor Lawrence got drafted by the Jaguars? Gardner Minshew. They replaced Gardner with Trevor Lawrence. I think it's going to be fun to see Gardner play his old team. I don't know what's going to happen here. I think the Jaguars win. I don't know. But it would be certainly cool to see Trevor... Um, or I guess it'd be cool to see Gardner get revenge and beat his old team Jacksonville. So I think there's a fun game to be had here in Jacksonville between the Jaguars and Indy. Saints at Houston is a game I'm looking forward to. I'm excited to watch rookie quarterback in Houston, CJ Stroud play against a good Saints defense. I think it's a fun matchup. It's interesting. I think Houston has a shot to win. Uh, I do worry about Derek Carr. I think he could struggle against a... I didn't realize how good Houston's defense was. I saw them a couple weeks ago against Jacksonville. They did some good stuff. They're well coached by D'Amico Ryans. And Derek Carr, to me, is so hit or miss and so inconsistent. Maybe he's making progress. He had a good game last weekend, had an interception that should have been caught by New England. But uh, I I don't know, man. I, I pause here to say, I think on paper, the Saints are better. And on paper, the Saints should win. But because of my lack of trust in Derek Carr, because of my respect for the way C.J. Strouds played early in this year, I think it's a shot, it's a good game. If not a game, Houston wins. But watch, as I say that now, it'll be 38-3, to three and uh, Houston will lose. But I just really kind of wonder if this could be a close game where a rookie quarterback plays well against a interesting, interesting defense in New Orleans. How about the Patriots and the Raiders? I've got a lot to say here, although I will say I'm not that interested in this game. By the way, remember... Last time the Patriots played the Raiders, Jacoby Myers tried to lateral, and the Raiders took it for the game-winning touchdown. Well, now Jacoby Myers is on the Raiders instead of the Patriots. He left New England to go to Vegas, and this game is basically like the Patriots against the Patriots West. It's so weird how much crossover there is between these two organizations. Jimmy Garoppolo and Josh McDaniels both met in New England. They worked together there. Now they're playing against their former team from years ago, uh, much more recently for Josh McDaniels. I'm not going to lie to you. I could not be less interested in this boring football game. You got two crappy quarterbacks, Mac Jones and Jimmy Garoppolo, two bad teams. The Patriots are one and four. The Raiders are two and three. It is weird. There's a lot of ties between these two teams. The people in New England so the people in Vegas mostly came from New England. Uh, but the number one similarity between the Raiders and the Patriots is they are both very, very mediocre football teams. Now, I want to acknowledge something here. I'm excited to watch the Cardinals against the Rams. And I, I acknowledge, you know, Arizona's 1-4, and four, the Rams are 2-3. and three. It's weird to me that I couldn't care less about Patriots-Raiders, but I'm actually excited to watch a game between what's two crappy teams on paper, Arizona and the Rams, but I think it's a fun game. you got two young teams. You've got uh, two teams that haven't won a lot of games, but have both been really competitive and really interesting. Young players, exciting players, Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, Matthew Stafford. Cardinals quarterback Josh Jobs has been kind of an exciting, scrappy player who has exceeded expectations. I think, to me, Cardinals-Rams is a fun game. I think the Rams win. They're a little more dynamic, got better players on offense, but... Um, I think this game, Arizona at L.A. against the Rams, is actually a really fun, really, really interesting game this weekend in the NFL. Eagles-Jets is a game that feels really concerning to me. I'm worried about Jets' young quarterback, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson against this Philadelphia Eagles defense is... uh, Man, I mean, you can only hope. I'd like to see Zach Wilson do well. Um, And the Jets have a great defense, but Philly's 5-0... I think the Jets defense could keep them in the game early, but eventually Zach Wilson has to score and have a good game and I don't think he can, so I don't have confidence here. But man, I'd love to see Zach Wilson have a great game and keep the Jets in this game and make it interesting. I just don't think that's going to happen. Lions at Tampa is a really fun game. The Lions are 4 and 1. The Buccaneers are 3 and 1. They just coming off their bye week. You got two quarterbacks in this game, Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff who are both drafted number one overall, by the way, on new teams that were not the teams that drafted them. You got two good defenses. You've got two teams that lead their division right now. And here's a fun question. If the Lions can win this game, imagine this. They would start five and one. What if the Lions start five and one? How incredible would that be? So I think either way, Lions-Tampa is a really interesting, really fun matchup this weekend between two teams that are physical. They run the ball well. They play good defense. They've got Former number one overall pick quarterbacks. A lot of similarities here. And uh, Tampa against the Lions is a really fun, interesting matchup. On Sunday night football, once again, we've got another blowout on our hands. Last week, we had the Cowboys at San Francisco. I remember being excited for that. And I got punched in the gut. It was deflating and horrible. Horrible. This weekend, um, I don't know why, I don't understand who in the world thought we should put the Giants on primetime constantly this year. I don't know why the Giants, you know, I know why it is. The Giants have a really passionate, loud, interested fan base. That is why they're on primetime so much, but the Giants are not a good football team. Giants at Buffalo, to me, is a game I expect to be a blowout. You're playing against a Super Bowl contender, Buffalo. The Giants are awful. And uh, as many of these primetime games have been this year, this is another game that's going to be an absolute blowout. Brian Dable's going back to Buffalo to play his old team, and it's going to be really, really disappointing. On Monday night, though, we've got potential for a really good football game. Cowboys at Chargers could be really interesting. Chargers offensive coordinator Kellen Moore got fired by Dallas after last year, and uh, Justin Herbert is a great quarterback playing against a great defense. I think a great defense. They struggled last week against the 49ers, but still, uh, I don't want to throw too much shade. The Cowboys defense has great players everywhere. So Herbert against the Dallas defense could be really fun. And then, honestly, knowing the Chargers and their head coach, Brandon Staley, a defensive head coach, watch the quarterback for the Cowboys, Dak Prescott, absolutely destroy the Chargers. I don't want that to happen. But knowing Brandon Staley, knowing how unreliable he is, I think that's going to happen. Just knowing the way things have worked out so far for the Chargers all year and for the last couple of years with their head coach, they're going to find a way to let Dak Prescott have a ton of yards and look amazing. I don't love that. Um, That's kind of the pessimist pessimist in me, but I think that Cowboys at Chargers on Sunday, or I guess on Monday Night Football on ESPN could be a really, really fun, really, really exciting football game. All right, I want to talk about something that I talked about during uh, the fantasy football episode from yesterday. I want to share a warning here. Um, I want to show a picture of Brown's tight end, David Njoku's face. Brown's tight end, David Njoku, got burned at his house. I believe messing with a fire pit. He got burned, and it's kind of horrifying. I'm going to put a picture on screen now. Um... With Burns on his face, David Njoku played against the Ravens week four. They lost badly, but David Njoku played 70% of the snaps in Cleveland. He was he had six catches on seven targets for 46 yards. He was the Browns' leading receiver in that football game. And if you zoom in on David Njoku's sunglasses, you can see Burns on his hands as well. I don't know how you are the leading receiver for an NFL team with Burns on your hands, let alone Burns on your face, like playing through all that. What's it like to put a helmet on your face when you got burns everywhere? I don't know. That sounds incredibly painful. Wildly interesting to me. Uh, he's a warrior, clearly. And by the way, it's worth noting for context, that same game, Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson got medically cleared to play, but chose not to. Deshaun Watson was healthy enough to play, cleared by the medical staff, but he didn't want to play. David Njoku burns on his face, burns on his hands, leading receiver in the game, uh, in a really big game against a division rival, Baltimore. I can't believe that. Th- this. I already didn't like Deshaun Watson for not playing in that game, but uh, th- this move here with David Njoku showing his face, showing the burns he got, then also realizing he's got burns on his hands as well, it makes you admire David Njoku. It makes you think even worse somehow of Deshaun Watson, and uh, I kind of can't believe the guy played an NFL game with burns on his face. I, again, putting a helmet on. When you've got burns on your head seems horrifying to me. And then catching passes with the same hand that is all wrapped up and covered in in burns. Like, it's amazing. It's really, really crazy. And he showed up to the game, by the way, wearing a mask. I thought that that was kind of him being dramatic. No! David Njoku's face, badly burned. And uh, dude is a warrior. All right. This weekend is college football week seven. And uh, the number one game to me is number eight Oregon on the road at number seven Washington. It's a Pac-12 matchup. Both teams are five and zero. Oregon's got a really good defense and a good quarterback, Bo Nix, but Washington's got an incredible quarterback and a great offense. So it's strength on strength. Your great offense against a great defense. Oregon's defense against Washington's offense. Both teams are headed to the Big Ten next year, so I can't wait to see this game. Uh, Two teams in the top 10, both 5-0. It's going to be competitive. It's going to be fun. Oregon at Washington is the game of the weekend by far, in my opinion, in college football. There is another good game, though. Number 10, USC at number 21, Notre Dame. USC is 6-0. They had a sketchy win this past weekend in triple overtime, beating Arizona. Notre Dame is 5-2. They just lost to Louisville. They lost earlier in the year to Ohio State. But there is a chance here for Notre Dame to, despite having a 5-2 record and pretty clearly out of the college football playoff, they could play, spoiler, if you beat 6-0 USC here, you probably have a shot to take away a college football playoff appearance for USC. So I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be interesting. I want to see Sam Hartman bounce back after three interceptions against Louisville. USC-Notre Dame. I think it's going to be a fun game this weekend. I'm going to be watching. I'm really interested. And then it's worth noting, if you are a fan of future NFL quarterbacks, I love watching quarterbacks that are getting ready to go to the NFL. You got a great chance to watch Drake May this next weekend in uh, North Carolina. I guess this weekend, number 25, Miami plays on the road at number 12, North Carolina. North Carolina's 5-0, Miami's 4-1, they should be 5-0. The way they lost last weekend was horrifying. But if you want to watch North Carolina quarterback Drake May in a big game, this is a great moment to do exactly that. All right, um, I'm gonna take a short break. I have to pay the bills, gotta buy food, gotta pay for a place to live. When I return, Fun Friday and Patreon questions. My name is Ax Schomler. I'm gonna take a short break. I will be right back. Hey guys, uh, it's kind of a big deal here. I'm actually trying to help you, so don't skip the ad. I know that when you listen to a podcast, you skip ahead. I know that because that's what I do, but don't skip this one. We got Factor as a sponsor, and I was sitting down to prepare my little ad read. They give, you know, I, I write a piece of paper with a bunch of notes, and I'm like, okay, what are they offering? What's the deal here? Usually, it's like ten to twenty percent. Like, okay, Factor.com/sos whatever. And uh, no, 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 they are offering fifty percent off to Strong Opinion Sports listeners. And here's what they are: They are Factor is a meal kit service. You can get fifty percent off. Go to factormeals.com SOS50 and use code SOS50 and uh, straight up on a human level. if You'd be kind of silly not to investigate. It's a great deal. is a meal kit service, they send you ready-to-eat meals. Uh, they're easy to prepare. For me, they showed up in a box with a bunch of high-quality ice packs. You take them out of the box. You put the, the meal kits in the fridge. And when you want food, you go to the fridge. You take it out. You put the thing in the microwave, you heat it up, two minutes later, you've got a really good meal ready to go. Now, the microwave part made me kind of go, what is this? Is it a bunch of TV dinners? Like, what is this crap? No, no, no. This is phenomenal food. It's high quality. It's never frozen. And compared to all the other options you can have for a quick and easy meal, it kind of kicks booty and is phenomenal. So what I really think is interesting, too, there's so many ways to customize your order, whether you are, maybe you're on a diet and you're like, hey, I'm trying to cut calories. There are low-calorie options. Or maybe you just want really good food that's easy to make and doesn't take 30 minutes to an hour out of your time cooking during the day. Like, for me, I'm really busy with football season, and it's an incredibly valuable thing for me to go to my fridge, grab a really good meal, pull it out, put it in the microwave. Two minutes later, I've got a good meal ready to go. I saved a lot of time. It's cheaper for you and better than takeout or delivery. I used to drive for a delivery service. Guys, those prices are... Not good compared to this. Um, so, again, it's just nice to have the fridge loaded with high-quality, good meals that are easy to prepare. And you can get 50% off of this meal kit service. Do the math. That's a really good offer. So head to Factormeals.com SOS50 and use code SOS50 to get 50% off. That is Factormeals.com slash SOS50. Use code SOS50 To get 50% off. Again, code SOS50 at factormeals.com slash SOS50 to get 50% off. And, uh, guys, it's a great offer. You would be silly. I'm trying to help you. Like, that would be a great thing to investigate because it's legitimately a great deal. Food's expensive right now. And having food that's great and convenient and not terrible for you is a rare thing. So investigate it. Factormeals.com slash SOS50. All right. We are back. Um... My, I've been really struggling this episode. I was like, I feel like it's really loud in my headphones, and I've been like really kind of having a hard time. What's going on? I realized that the volume going to my headphones was at the highest possible setting, and I was like, why I was really like for the first two segments of the show, I was like, my ears hurt. Am I yelling? What's going on? No, I just had the volume at 100% in my ears. It was crazy. It was not fun I want to now do something. I'm trying to make this a thing, Fun Friday, where every Friday I ask you a question. I ask you to write in stuff for a given topic. And then the following Friday, we cover it. We, I share your submissions. We have fun with it. Um, the question for next week that I want to write you to write in about, I want you to write in about Halloween costumes. Specifically, send in funny Halloween costume ideas. What should I wear? Or what's the best Halloween costume you've ever seen? Or what's the favorite you've ever worn? I want to hear... It's an open-ended question. I'm leaving intentionally open-ended. Remember, I'm kind of experimenting here, figuring out how to best ask these questions. I want you to write in about Halloween costumes. Whatever you got, give me your best story. Give me your best example of what you could wear. What's a hilarious, horrifying thing. The more funny it can be, the better. Write in with me about, write into me about Halloween costumes. I want to hear what you guys can come up with. I'm really interested. we will read them next week on the show. Now, the question I asked last week, was tell me your most embarrassing or awkward moment. And I want to read this question first, this submission. This guy says, sorry, Zach, but I'm skipping the wholesome viewer stories. I just don't care about some dude's laptop. I like your show better when it doesn't seem like you're trying to fill time. Um, That's a fair write-in. I understand that. Uh, Here's the good news. You can skip ahead. If you don't like this segment, we're doing Patreon questions next. You can skip ahead. Um... I don't do this to fill time. I want to have fun. I like interacting with the people in the audience. We do five episodes a week. I think on Fridays I can do a more fun, chaotic, less maybe put together episode. That's kind of the goal here. And if it doesn't work, I will cancel it. But for now, I'm having fun with it. I think people in the audience like it. And if you don't like it, um, the good news is you can really easily just skip ahead. And I think that's a reasonable and totally acceptable thing to do that I won't give you any crap for. I don't. doesn't bother me. Uh, but if you don't like this segment, just go to the next part of the show. But I don't want to off-put people or bother people. Really, I if you don't like it, that makes me kind of sad. But if you don't like it, just skip ahead. Now, question the right-in-I want to read first today is this guy, his most embarrassing moment. This guy says, probably the most embarrassing thing to happen to me was when I was teaching a cooking class. I was teaching a lesson about knife safety, and I cut myself really bad. I ended up having to end the lesson early. Since I had to take care of the cut. That's just bad news, man. Imagine you're supposed to be an expert in the field. You're literally teaching other people, and then you do the exact wrong thing. Man, I'm sorry. That sucks. Although, that's really the most embarrassing thing ever that's happened to you. I, I, I guess I don't want to challenge that. I believe you. But I feel like in the scope of things that are embarrassing, that's just more unfortunate and kind of awkward like, I can see how that would happen. You're you're like, hey, so you don't do this. You don't do that. You don't do this. Oh, bad cut. See, that's why you don't do that because now I'm bleeding everywhere. I can see how that would happen a lot more than some of the other embarrassing things that I've seen go down in the world. This person writes in and says, most embarrassing moment for me was probably when my fiance found out that I still watch ASMR or sleep aid videos every night. It's almost, a, it's almost as embarrassing as getting caught watching uh, corn, which, you know, not corn. Um, I don't know why this is embarrassing. You know, sleep aid videos. I looked it up kind of like, it must be some horrifying, awful thing. I looked up sleep aid, ASMR, like ASMR doesn't do it for me. I don't really understand the whole need for like that. Like I don't, I, I, some of you out there heard me do that and hated that. I hate the mouth noises. I hate like the the videos of people eating food. I don't, I don't get it. But I don't think it's something to be ashamed of. And if you're embarrassed of watching a video, like I listen to a podcast called Nothing Much Happens Occasionally When I Can't Sleep. And I don't think that's like the worst thing you could possibly do in the world. So uh, to all you people out there who weren't ready for the mouth noises, I did not mean to uh, ruin your day. But uh, again, I, I just don't, ASMR doesn't do it for me, but it doesn't mean it's like a, it's that really an embarrassing thing. Like I would way rather get caught watching ASMR and trying to explain that than having someone walk in on me watching uh corn. So, I don't know. I don't know that... I don't want to disagree with you, but I I don't think that's... You shouldn't be ashamed of that, really. This guy says, easily the most awkward thing in my life was walking in on my parents doing it when I was like eight years old. Like, lock the door, bruh. (laughs) Don't we all do that? At some point, you walk in on your parents and you're scarred for life and you're like, I can never unsee that. I don't want to see that. It's horrifying. I think we all do it at some point and it sucks pretty bad. This guy writes and said, most embarrassing story... I was sitting at a red light in traffic in, front, in the middle of a storm. The light turns green, but the car in front of me doesn't go. Seconds go by, still doesn't go. I'm getting pretty frustrated, assuming he's not paying attention, so I lay on my horn. He still doesn't go. Finally, he, Finally, he gets out of his car in the pouring rain and has to push it out of the intersection because his car was broken down. I've never felt so small. May not seem like a big deal, but it taught me a lesson that you don't always understand what others are going through. I'm not going to lie to you, man. My dark, sick, twisted brain, if a car was in front of me, not moving, especially if there was another big car behind me, I would think I'm about to get robbed. You ever seen the people like entering a freeway where they they come to a full stop and everyone gets out of the car with like weapons and they're breaking into the car behind them? Like I would be like, um, so is this guy about to rob me? What's happening here? You actually got lucky. His car was broken down. I think it's a natural response to, to lay on the horn there. You didn't know what's going on. I mean, I I like the little lesson there of you don't know what someone else is going through. But all in all, um, I think you're understandable to be like, hey, why aren't we going? This is a horrible thing to admit. But I actually, when I had my first ever car, I got a Volkswagen Jetta from a – there was a a dealer who lived nearby. He said, if you can get this car running, you can keep it. I got it running. It became my car. It was full of all kinds of horrifying things I found over the years and vents and – under mats, but I, the car barely moved, but I got it working. My first time of the car, I was so angry and frustrated as a, a young kid, especially I had the car when my younger brother died. So I was so full of anger and frustration. I used that horn so often it stopped working. That's how much I honked at people. Like I was just an aggressive, really, really awful really, really out of control young driver. Not like going fast, just like really impatient. Okay, why, why are we not, the light's green, why aren't we going? I would have honked away. So, I don't know. I think that really ties into this next write And This guy says, most embarrassing, got friend zone. so I took a banana to homecoming in high school thinking it was funny. Even drew a suit on it. Looking back, it wasn't funny and it makes me squirm at how cringy it was. Spoiler alert, taking a banana to a dance did not end with me getting the girl. You know, I think we all have moments we look back on, like me honking at people when I was, you know, 18 years old. We all look back on moments and feel, I think if we have any self-awareness and go, ooh, not proud of that. That's embarrassing. We all have moments like that. I definitely have moments where I'm like, that was not my finest moment. Um, So it's understandable. I wonder, were you doing the banana thing to get attention? Like, oh, poor me. She didn't want me. At least I have this banana. Like I... I, I, it's all cringy, man. I get it. That's all bad. Um, I think that's see, like getting caught watching ASMR to me doesn't compare to getting caught with a banana at a dance in high school. You know, like that feels way worse to me. Jason, thanks for sharing. I respect you. See, I do wonder with this this write-in topic, how many people simply didn't write in at all. Like, how many people were like, "Oh, I got a horrible story, but I am I refuse to share that." You think I'm gonna tell you my worst? darkest, most horrible story. Like I've had a lot of people have really horrifying things they could have shared that were like, nah, nah, that's going to go to my grave with me. I'm not telling anyone. And I, I respect that too, but I do have to wonder like how many good stories just simply were not told at all. Uh, this guy wrote in kind of wholesome. He says, you to bomb Zach getting married later today. And I'm hyped. The bears got the W on my bachelor party for my bachelor party and it was an absolute blast. Keep doing your thing, man. I don't know what your name is, uh, Chazega, but hey, happy happy wedding day? Happy marriage? It's not a thing you say. Um, congrats on the marriage. Well done. I, th- I thought it was kind of cool. It, I was like going through the comments on the last episode. I was like, oh, dude, shout out to this guy. Desert Beaver wrote in and said, when I was 13, I was at a church retreat. I had to fart, but I ended up mildly shitting myself. I was super embarrassed, so I stuffed the toilet paper in my underwear to dry it out. I went undetected for a few hours, but later, I was asked to get up and read in front of everyone. On my way to the ambo, or podium, some of the toilet paper fell out. I pretended it never happened and kept walking, but I was mortified. No one ever said anything to me. By the way, longtime lurker, love the show. That's truly horrifying. You, You literally poop your pants and then... See, here's the thing. If I just shat my pants... The day is over for me. I'm not trying to keep it together. I'm not trying to continue going on. Whatever I have planned is canceled. I am, I'm, I'm done for the day. I'm out. I would, you know, I, and I get you're at a church retreat. Maybe you're not in a situation you could do that. I think at this point in my life, if I, if I poop my pants, I'd be like, it happened, guys. I shit my pants. I got to leave. Like, I think the fact that you were trying to keep it a secret actually made this much more difficult. If you just said openly, like, oh, whoa. That one was wet. I got to go change. Like, I think it's embarrassing for like a little bit, but then you actually can play it off and have more fun with it rather than trying to keep the secret to me is like the impossible part that I want nothing to do with. I would just own it and be like, yeah, I'm an embarrassing mess. I got to go change. I don't know. Um, David writes says, well, Zach, what is one of my most embarrassing moments? Well, I remember it was a cold winter day and I was leaving a store to go to my car. I tried to open the door and I couldn't. It was jam stuck, probably from how cold it was outside. I spent the next minute or so struggling and pulling so hard to try and open the door to no avail. I was very frustrated until I realized there was a scared and confused person inside struggling and pulling hard to keep the creepy stranger out. I had gone to the wrong car. I apologized and found the correct car. Oh boy, that's, that's unfortunate. I've done that before where I remember when I got a new car, I had a, I had a Toyota Corolla and it, it's just a red curl. Like a lot of people have that same car. And I, I would approach it a couple times it happened where I went to the wrong car. I started pulling. Them, I was like, oh, not, not my car. I got I to gotta back away slowly. And one time there was a person in there who was like sleeping in the passenger seat. I pulled in the door. They freak out. I'm like, no, no, my bad. I, wrong car. I'm sorry. Like I was really, really horrified. Um, that's a, a common thing we've all done. But I just feel bad for the person in the car who they think they're being robbed. They think their car is being stolen. They're going to get carjacked or mugged. And you're like, no, no, it's an innocent mistake. I would hate for that to happen where you're trying to trying to get into what you think is your car. The cops get called and the cops arrest you for breaking into a car And you're like, no, no, no. I thought it was my car, I swear. And then if it's, I mean, imagine if your car is like a black SUV, but it's not the same make and model. You actually would look really suspect. And you're like, no, no, I, I swear I messed up. I don't know, that's a... That's a position I never want to be in. Last one of the day, Hall from Alberta writes in and says, here's an awkward story for next fun Friday. Well, on vacation last winter, I was down at the beach when I saw a drop dead gorgeous woman waving at me from the water. It felt too good to be true, but I went to wave back. I got my hand about halfway up and quickly put it back down when I realized she wasn't waving at me. She was just instead drowning. (laughs) I don't know if that's a real story. That's hilarious and, and messed up though. Um, how many times have this, this has happened to me before where a woman waves at me and I'm like, Oh, Hey, and then you realize she's not waving at you. And you're like, Oh no. And it's even worse when it's like not a, an attractive woman. It's just like a random person. They wave at you, you wave back and they look at you like, what's wrong? And it's like some old 50 year old dad waving at his kids. And you're like, wow, I don't know why I returned the wave. And the wave certainly wasn't meant for me. And it's all embarrassing and awkward from that point on. All right. I want to read questions from Patreon. If you want to support the show, you go to patreon.com slash Zach patreon.com slash Zach uh, It's a dollar a month. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally does pay my rent. A dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single write-in with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the show. By the way, if you're at the $5 tier or higher on Patreon, you also get access to the Strong Opinion Sports Discord, and it's really fun. We chat, we hang out, we watch games live. I really like it, and I think there's more utility to be had with Patreon where I think I could do, because there's the the chat feature where you can talk and use voice chat, I think I could use Discord sometime to do a live episode and have people from the audience call in. I guess it wouldn't be live. It would be, a, it would be a conversation recorded with people from the audience. And have people call into the show, that would be fun. That's possible. And that's a thing I want to try to do in the future with Discord. By the way, fun episode tomorrow. My dad's coming on the show. Episode 601 will be with Mr. Stephen Schaumler, my father, tomorrow. So that'll be fun. That's coming up tomorrow. Question number one today is from Devin. Devin writes in. Devin says, hey, Zach, dude. I wanted to challenge you on something. One of your strongest beliefs the past few years has been to hire offensive head coaches. But if you're going to have a defensive head coach, you need to at least have a great defense to hang your hat on. I think you've rightfully criticized Brandon Staley for that. I think you've also rightfully criticized Ron Rivera for that. But I've always wondered why Mike Tomlin seems to get a pass in your book. His soft cover two defense gets carved up across the middle regularly. He seems to make little to no adjustments in game. Teams that have no business beating Pittsburgh have always found a way to give them hell. The best years of the Steelers was with Prime Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, and went to waste with an ugly secondary. He has no coaching tree. He hasn't won a playoff game since Alex Smith was Kansas City's starting quarterback. And how about getting outcoached by a rookie, D'Amico Ryans, with a rookie quarterback carving up a Pittsburgh uh, defense behind a backup offensive line? Also, here's a stat. Without TJ Watt, the Steelers are 1-10. and ten. I could go on and on, but when all is said and done, the Steelers have historically had garbage offenses and offensive scheme the last few years. And you could make a strong argument, Mike Tomlin doesn't even have a great defense to hang his hat on. At what point do his Super Bowl from over 10 what point does his Super Bowl from over 10 years ago and no losing season stop becoming an excuse for his mediocre uh, mediocrity as a head coach? He's an amazing motivator and leader. And I respect the hell out of him, but you don't you think it's time Pittsburgh goes out and upgrades a great off to a great offensive head coach? As always, I look forward to the next show, Devin. Devin, I, I love you, man. That was wordy, and actually, I found it hard to read. That's a lot to to talk about. Um, so he doesn't make adjustments. Mike Tomlin, his defense isn't great. Uh, he gets beat by coaches that should have no business beating him. He gets uh, outshined when it comes to matchups and. Uh, you also criticize the offense. Isn't it time to bring in an offensive-minded coach in Pittsburgh? <sighs> oh, there's a lot there. Um, first of all, Pittsburgh is in no hurry to replace Mike Tomlin. They don't want to. They like Mike Tomlin. They don't want to make a change. Um, I think they are a franchise that is comfortable with sameness, and they don't they don't want to fire a coach if they don't have to. And uh, whether that's right or wrong, that's their culture in Pittsburgh is they're not a team that's in a hurry to fire anybody. And you ask me why I don't criticize Mike Tomlin. I think that's kind of the point of your question. I want to say something I've never, never really admitted publicly. I don't have the balls to criticize Mike Tomlin. I don't want that. There's a, when you do that, you invite yourself into a wild, wild storm. I remember when I talked about Cam Newton in the past where I said, hey, Cam Newton isn't good enough. And I got, attacked a ton. Everyone talked about his MVP award. Everyone talked about all the good stuff Cam Newton had done. And no one wanted to talk about the recent maybe lack of success for Cam Newton. And I learned a lot from my criticism of Cam Newton. Hey, there are some people that are better just to not criticize and better to stay away from. The career win-loss record for Mike Tomlin is that he's got 173 wins, 103 losses, and two ties. So 173 wins, 103 losses and two ties. He's won a Super Bowl. He's in his 17th year in Pittsburgh, and he's never had a losing season. I can't criticize Mike Tomlin. The reality is I'm a white guy, and if I criticize Mike Tomlin, I worry I would get called racist. I know that you can't—I'm probably not supposed to say that, but the reality is if I criticize Mike Tomlin, it's going to happen the same way that— I remember criticizing Cam Newton saying, I think I have real valid criticisms of him, but everyone kept throwing the MVP award in my face. Everyone would throw the good things he's done and ignore my arguments. And if I do that with Mike Tomlin, if I talk about the things Mike Tomlin could do better, everyone's going to throw his record in my face. They're going to talk about a Super Bowl from 10 years ago. They're going to talk about the fact he's never had a losing season. It's not worth the battle. I don't want to have a fight. I think Mike Tomlin, frankly, I don't have heavy criticisms of him. He's done a good job. I like him. I'd like to play for him. He seems like an awesome dude. So I know that it's not worth the tornado of anger and frustration that would come along with criticizing Mike Tomlin. And again, I also don't have any real strong criticisms. He's a very fine coach. I think Mike Tomlin is like a a B B-tier head coach in the NFL. He's going to get out coached by the Shanahans, the um, Mike McDaniels, the really exciting, dynamic young coaches in the NFL are going to outcoach Mike Tomlin, but... If you want a coach who's good enough and can keep you competent and solid and never have a losing season, that's exactly what Mike Tomlin is. And uh, to me, criticizing him really isn't worth it. He's, he's fine, does a good job. Uh, and because I don't have a real strong criticism, I just tend to completely avoid that topic. Davis writes in, Davis says, Hey, Zach, in episode 595, you mentioned you may not want to go take a walk in Indiana because it may not be fun. I personally felt attacked as a lifelong Hoosier all I have to say is that, well, at least we're not Iowa or North Dakota. We get some picturesque trails and parks here too, just not as much as Hawaii. I think that's fair. You know, I I think the, the, st- the, the couple states to kind of talk crap about. Uh, I have been through North Dakota. There's nothing there. It's flat. It's brown for a lot of it. When you're coming out of Montana, I've driven entirely through North Dakota. There's not a lot going on there. South Dakota is more interesting because there's some mountains and cool stuff there. The The Black Hills. Uh, Iowa is flat as I'll get out. Like I, you know, there's a joke. Hey, if you're a flat earther, I understand if you're from Iowa because all you've ever seen is a flat world and can't even imagine mountains. And then uh, Nebraska is also really flat and not very interesting. I've been through Nebraska. I've driven through it. It's yeah, it's not a lot going on there. That's exciting. I want to kind of offer an apology to Indiana. I looked up Indiana. Somehow, I've always thought they were a landlocked state and technically I guess they are, but there is a coastline in Indiana that I did not acknowledge or kind of register for a long time. I don't know why. Uh, I somehow missed the fact that Indiana is on the coastline of Lake Michigan. I was like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. They've got a cool geographic feature. And so I apologize to Indiana. I looked up the Indiana Dunes State Park. Looks really cool. That's a long way from Indianapolis. If you're in Indianapolis, you're a long drive from Lake Michigan. But um, Indiana is really close to a city I love, Cincinnati. And so I want to offer a formal official apology. Indiana, I was wrong, man. I should make fun of Iowa, Nebraska, and North Dakota. But otherwise, um, no shade to Indiana. You know, you got the Lake Michigan there. You got a couple of cool trails. I think Hank Green, like the author or one of the, the, the vlog brothers lives there, and uh, he makes it look cool and interesting. So, yeah, Indiana, also cost of living is really low. Maybe I should move to Indiana. Good life. I had to deal with snow and um, – Uh, things I don't want to deal with in Indiana, but certainly cost of living seems very attractive. And uh, Indiana, my formal apology. Lionheart writes in, Lionheart says, Hi Zach, it seems the quality of offensive lines across the league is deteriorating. And it seems like most fans hate their team's offensive line. I think one reason for this is the coaching pipeline in the NFL. The current fast track to becoming an NFL head coach is going from a former quarterback to quarterback coach to offensive coordinator to head coach and it's not that former quarterbacks make bad coaches, it's just that the undeniable fastest way to becoming a head coach is that you start as a quarterback and work your way from there. That means we get less coaches of other positions, such as offensive linemen. Brian Harson once said, you don't know anything about offensive football until you work directly with the offensive line. Bill Belichick is a, uh, you write CT, I think you mean former center and tight end. Andy Reid was an offensive tackle. Arthur Smith was a guard. By the way, it's funny, Bill Belichick, C slash T-E, C-T-E, awkward there. Uh, They're all former offensive linemen, Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, and Arthur Smith. And Pro Football Focus has all three of those lines ranked in the top half of the league. On the contrary, the Bengals and Jets both have head coaches and offensive coordinators that never played offensive line and have never worked with offensive linemen in their entire coaching career. Those two teams consistently have terrible offensive line play. There are still other factors, such as a limited amount of full contact reps they're getting these days through high school and college. But I think one major contributing factor to the declining offensive line skill around the league is the sheer amount of coaches that have never worked directly with the offensive line in any capacity. There's a lot of things to talk about here. Uh, First of all, how many offensive line coaches can you name? None? Maybe one? Maybe one of your favorite team, that's probably it. An offensive line coach is a wildly important position that's simply crazily undervalued. Offensive linemen have a really big part of the game, and they they really matter tremendously, but they don't get a lot of headlines. They don't get a lot of press. No one pays attention to them unless they're doing badly. It almost makes me want to find another way to measure their productiveness, like a way to give offensive linemen credit or stats or something so they can be stars as well. like We we talk about touchdowns and first downs and yards, but there's no way to measure alignment successfully other than the negative ones, which are sacks and um, rushing yards, basically, if they're low. So I, I think we need to rethink the way we approach offensive linemen in general. Another thing that's kind of problematic about offensive linemen is the body type we envision for an offensive lineman is this really big, really thick dude who can move bodies and is a great run blocker, but also can be a pass blocker and... Being a great run blocker requires a sheer amount of weight to push people around. Being a great pass protector requires more nimbleness. And a guy you can do both as a run blocker and be really nimble is so rare. Like a guy like Trent Williams, the left tackle in San Francisco, is just the most unique one-of-one rare dude on the planet. And you're seeing the body types for a defensive end become more and more lean and more and more athletic. Like look at the way a defensive end is built. Miles Garrett Nick Bosa, Max Crosby, and then look at the way the traditional offensive lineman is built. There's a reason defensive ends are running right around offensive linemen. They're way more athletic and they're way more physically gifted. So, I think there's a lot of things working against offensive linemen right now. On top of the fact that they, don't, they practice less in high school and college, and there are you know no there's fewer contact reps as they're growing up and developing. Um, but I think as a whole, the way we view offensive linemen has to be rethought. And uh, if not, it's going to be, it's going to be a problem for a long time. Uh, But it's weird to me that such an important position, we still don't know, like, who's the offensive line coach for so many teams in the NFL? Why are they not talked about? Why are they not viewed as rock stars? Why is the best one not coveted? You never hear anyone in the media talk about, I don't know, Uh, who's the Chiefs offensive line coach? I don't even know. And it's my job to know. I, I really should dive into this topic, I think, and find out like who are the, the offensive line coaches that deserve to be celebrated across the NFL and uh, start making those guys into stars and making them a coveted position where if you got a great offensive line coach, why aren't you poaching them and stealing them from other teams? Because, you know, you're really good at that. We'll take you. We'll pay you more money. And if you're going to help us win with a good offensive line, we'll pay you a lot of money to make that happen. I think the way we view offensive linemen in general has to get entirely turned around. Justin writes in, Justin says, Oh man, we missed one. Oh, Adam says, Yo, Zach Prescott, had to support the Patreon just so I could tell you how amazing Prime Vision is. You were the first person I heard talk about it, and I believe it is the only way football should be broadcasted. Love what you do, man. Keep up the great work. Thank you. I agree. I wish every other network would adopt Prime Vision. Zoom out a little bit, show the entire field, show all 22 players who would make football way better to watch, and uh, it would allow viewers to be more educated on what's happening. Justin writes in and says, hey, Zach Skellington. I don't know what that is, Zach Skellington. I've never, I I don't know what that reference is, but uh, thank you. Justin says, I feel like there hasn't been a team with a nickname in a while. For example, the Legion of Boom, Saxonville, the greatest show on turf. I think it's fun, but maybe we just haven't seen that crazy of a team in a while to have a nickname. Do you think any team in the past few years could have used a memorable nickname? I saw someone say the Miami Dolphins offense should be called the greatest show on surf. Like surfing, but I think it's a little too early for that. Not that important, but I feel like those nicknames can help hi- the highlight an era. I like Greatest Show on Surf. That's awesome. It's kind of awkward and clunky to say, but it is cool. Um, you know, I, yeah, as I think about the teams that have been dominant recently, I don't know what you would call the 49ers defensive line. They feel like they deserve some kind of nickname. Um, Kansas City, what does Kansas City do? I mean, they're, they're Patrick Mahomes' team, really. Like. Other than Patrick Mahomes, what's the consistent, recurring theme in Kansas City? There's not a collection of players the same way we used to have with the Greatest Show on Turf or with Saxonville. Um, so I don't know, but I, I, Greatest Show on Surf is fun. It's kind of clunky to say, but I like that one a lot. Gabe Wrightson says we got one, two, three left. Gabe says, "Hello, Zach. This is just an after. This is just a thought experiment. So bear with me." People are talking about if the Cardinals should stick with Kyler Murray or draft a quarterback high like Caleb Williams. But I am here to make the case for Josh Dobbs. What we've seen from Josh Dobbs uh, is he's played pretty well with an injury-riddled Titans uh, team and almost make the playoffs. And now he's keeping the untalented Cardinals competitive in games that they have no business being in. What if the Cardinals traded away both Kyler and whatever high pick they ended up with, probably not number one at this point, and really build around Josh Dobbs? I know it will never happen. But could it work in today's NFL? It will never happen, um, but although I will entertain the idea. First of all, Josh Dobbs is like Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville. Josh Dobbs is a cool dude, worked for NASA. Uh, he's an average talent on a bad team who's going to get replaced. I mean, the reality is when you're not physically imposing, when you are Gardner Minshew, Brock Purdy is a great example. Brock Purdy is great, but a lot of people doubt Brock Purdy simply because it's hard to measure what he does well. He's a great decision maker. He's accurate. He uh, is calm under pressure, but he's not 6'5, he's not super fast, doesn't have a big arm, he's not making crazy highlight plays, so it's hard to judge what crazy standout thing Brock Purdy does. Josh Jobs is the same way. And I think a real fun question is where's Josh Jobs gonna go after this year? I think he'd be a, a very interesting backup in San Francisco. In Miami would be really interesting for Josh Jobs. He's gonna be a coveted backup. Josh Jobs has played so well that He's probably going to play for a lot longer in the NFL than he maybe anticipated. I think he thought he was going to go to NASA and work as an aerospace engineer a lot sooner, but he's playing so well, he's going to have a spot in the NFL for years to come as a backup at least. But let's let's think about this idea. What if you had... So the Cardinals have their own first-round pick and Houston's first-round pick in this upcoming draft, correct? I think that's true. And so they could have two top... Five picks, theoretically. Maybe not because Houston's better than we thought. Arizona's better than we thought. But if you keep Josh Dobbs, you're paying Josh Dobbs nothing. Why is San Francisco so good right now? Part of it is because they're paying their quarterback, Brock Purdy, less than a million dollars a year. That allows them to spend a lot of money investing in other positions and building a truly special team around him. Do we think Josh Dobbs would be really good as the quarterback in San Francisco? I don't know if he'd be Brock Purdy. I think that feels kind of disrespectful to Brock Purdy. But I think Josh Dobbs would do very well with good teammates around him. So maybe, yeah, if you've got two top 10 picks in Arizona, maybe instead of drafting and reaching on a quarterback, you say the quarterback we have is good enough and the benefit of Josh Dobbs is he's cheap. It allows us to spend money on other positions, get great wide receivers, great offensive linemen, great pass rushers. Maybe you do use the draft picks. If you're like the... I don't know, the ninth and the 12th pick in the draft. You're not going to use them to go get a great quarterback. There's just not going to be one available if you're Arizona. Maybe you give Josh Dobbs a moderate, low-cost low contract that allows you to build a great team around him. And I think that's a winning formula. I actually, I like that idea. Now, I, I like that idea. Unfortunately, I think of the days where I liked when Kyle Allen was doing good stuff in Carolina. So I realized that I've been fooled before by quarterbacks who kind of are average talents, Um, but it'll never happen. Remember, Josh Dobbs is like Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew got replaced in Jacksonville by Trevor Lawrence. The minute you can draft a great quarterback to replace the average talent guy, you do. But man, Josh Dobbs, he's awesome. He's doing good stuff. He's a, a person the fans really like. And imagine if, instead of, you already have a competent quarterback and a cheap one who allows you to really build around that quarterback. So what if you do, Use two first-round picks in this upcoming draft to draft like a really good pass rusher and a really good receiver, or an offensive lineman, two offensive linemen. You build around your quarterback. Like I love that idea, and uh, I don't know, man. I, I think that it's a fun thought experiment. What if you built around Josh Dobbs? What if you looked at, what if the new blueprint in the in the NFL was San Francisco? We're gonna pay our quarterback very little, and then win as much as humanly possible while we're paying our quarterback next to nothing. Why is that not a potential blueprint? Because it's working so well for San Francisco. They're 5-0. They're the best team in the NFL. Look at the teams paying their quarterback a ton of money. Dallas with Dak Prescott. Russell Wilson with Denver. Who would you rather be? Denver or San Francisco? All I'm saying is if you can pay your quarterback nothing and build a great team around him, that's a winning formula to me. Daniel writes in. Daniel says, Hi, Zach. I feel like no one's talking about the possibility of the 2023 San Francisco 49ers being similar to the 7 Patriots or the 72 Dolphins and that they could just go 17-0 and possibly go all the way. I know it's extremely unlikely and still relatively early in the year. I was just thinking about how we've never seen Brock Purdy lose and I wonder if we ever will this year. Who, besides Philly coming up on the schedule, do you think would have the best chance to knock out the 49ers in the regular season or playoffs if you want a fun challenge? P.S., I'm typing this quickly at work, so I apologize if the question was not articulate, uh, articulated the best. Now you're fine. Um, so week 13, the 49ers play at Philly. That's going to be a, a dangerous game where they could lose. Um, then this weekend, they play at Cleveland. That's another good team. I think Cleveland could really challenge the 49ers potentially. But I agree. I actually could imagine the 49ers going 17-0. Like, I could see that happening. If they stay healthy and the talent amount they have there, if their guys can stay on the field, 17-0 doesn't seem crazy for the 49ers, believe it or not. The thing that's going to get them probably actually is not a great team. They're probably going to lose to, like, the Rams or Arizona. They're going to have a game that they don't play great. And a bad team plays amazing. That's what always happens to teams like this. A really great football team slips up and loses a game they probably shouldn't. But right now, the 49ers should be a Super Bowl favorite. They're The team, I think, is going to win the Super Bowl this year. Who could knock them off? I think Patrick Mahomes, he's got enough magic to make anything happen. He can beat anybody on any given day. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think Dallas is really a threat to them. I don't trust Dak Prescott. Philly, though, they're going to play Philly week 13 at Philly. And one of those two teams is going to be the number one seed in the NFC. And they're probably going to rematch again in the NFC title game. But again, my real theory, I think the first loss for the 49ers is going to be to a team that kind of comes out of left field. A team like the Rams or Arizona, Seattle, like someone who, maybe a division, I noticed all the three teams I listed were teams in their division who tend to play better because you play them twice a year, you know them pretty well. But I feel like it's going to be a team that you're not expecting, that doesn't feel like a Super Bowl contender that could be the first team to beat the 49ers this year. Final question of the day, Nick Flames writes, in. Nick says, hey, Zach, I've got a hottish take. Brock Purdy should currently be compared, considered as a top-10 quarterback. One more time, Brock Purdy should currently be considered as a top-10 quarterback. It is a hot take, but I think the only thing people are holding against him is the quality of his team. If Trey Lance was dominating like Brock Purdy has been, people would be giving him parades in the street right now. He would be considered the next great 49ers quarterback and immediately thrust onto the pedestal. Brock Purdy is not a top 10 athlete at the position. And was picked last in the draft, but who cares? He's balling out and deserves respect. I totally agree. Um because Brock Purdy is not physically impressive. I think people struggle to give him credit. He's not really fast, he's not a huge 6 foot 5 dude. He doesn't have a cannon for an arm like Herbert or Josh Allen. We struggle to recognize what he does well because it's not as obvious to a guy who doesn't know football as well. That sounded um, kind of gatekeepy. I didn't mean it that way. To me, what I see when I watch Brock Purdy is a quarterback who, unlike almost any other quarterback in the NFL, when it's a big moment, he doesn't care. He's totally calm. He's relaxed. He's actually having fun, it looks like. He's an incredible decision maker. He's kind of harder to measure the things that he does really, really well. That's part of why drafting quarterbacks is so difficult. It's really hard to measure how well a quarterback's going to do in a big moment. When it really, truly is. Game on the line, fourth quarter, 100,000 people screaming at you. How do you handle that? Millions of people watching. How do you handle that moment? That's a hard thing to judge. And Brock Purdy does it really well. And we kind of struggle to recognize or acknowledge that piece of what he does that's incredibly um, outstanding. And so to me, Brock Purdy, top 10 quarterback. I mean, who would I, who would I take Brock Purdy over? I'd rather have Brock Purdy than Dak. I'd rather have Brock Purdy than Kirk Cousins. I'd rather have Brock Purdy than Geno Smith. Um, and there's so many quarterbacks I would rather have, I would rather have Brock Purdy than that quarterback. Does that make sense? Like there's, I should make, that's a really fun, maybe list to break down sometime is Brock Purdy or blank. We could have that game maybe tomorrow on the show. But um, yeah, I think Brock Purdy is wildly underappreciated. He is the next great 49ers quarterback. He's going to be their quarterback for a long time, I believe. I think they're going to be, if not a Super Bowl contender this year, maybe even win the Super Bowl. And um, I think that we should be considering Brock Purdy the next great 49ers quarterback the way we would have if Trey Lance had worked out and been doing what Brock Purdy is currently doing. In fact, doesn't that say something? That Brock Purdy can do what Trey Lance couldn't do. And in fact, also consider this. How many other teams could have a failure as bad as what Trey Lance was? He traded a bunch of first-round picks to go get a quarterback, number three overall. That quarterback is a catastrophic failure. And yet, they're 5-0, first in the NFC, and the Super Bowl favorite. That's only possible because of Brock Purdy. So to me, I think Brock Purdy, maybe the most underrated quarterback in the NFL, you know I love little guys, you know I like the underdog. you know I like people who maybe don't have the physical talent. I'm not I, I understand I have biases here. but I don't think I'm biased here. I think the one thing that Brock Purdy has that's truly special, watch him in a big moment. his body language, his eyes, his demeanor, everything. The dude is unfazed when it matters most and it's sketchy and it's dangerous and it's uncomfortable and the pressure is all there. And everything's on the line. That is when Brock Purdy plays his best and he's totally comfortable in a really stressful, uncomfortable environment. And uh, that's what makes him, on top of the fact that he's a great decision maker, he's accurate, he takes everything he can do well, he maximizes and everything he can control he does really well. But on top of that, the dude can handle pressure, and that's a thing that, frankly, is one of the most rare things in football. Patrick Mahomes does that really well. Brock Purdy does that really well. Tom Brady did that really well. There's not a lot of dudes on the face of the earth who are really, really put in a tough position that's uncomfortable and stressful and can be at their best, and that's exactly what Brock Purdy is. So, uh, yeah, I think that he is... I don't know who the top ten quarterbacks would be, but I if I have no without really thinking about it too hard, I have no real concern putting him there. I, I think that um, that's fine with me. I, I, I kind of at this point, I think things had to go the way they did. If Brock Purdy doesn't go to San Francisco, he probably doesn't become what he became. But at this point, if you traded Brock Purdy to another team, I think he would do well because he's got a lot of confidence, he knows what he's doing, um, and he's got enough experience that I think if he'd gone to another team, it wouldn't have worked out the way it did. But now I think you could take Brock Purdy out of San Francisco, put him in New England or put him in Cleveland or put him in uh, Tampa and watch him do really, really well. And uh, I think that that's a rare trait to find. Guys, my name is Zach Shomler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. It's late on a Thursday. Um, sorry Thursday night was, once again, just not a great competitive game. I, I don't know what it's going to take for... <sighs> The, the NFL schedule to be interesting. It's been a really frustrating year with lots of blowouts and lots of games that weren't competitive at the end, but um, I can't control that. And I'd like for great NFL games every week. We're not getting them, frankly. It's irritating me, but I love you. I appreciate you. I will see you on the next one. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.